And we can, uh, well, that's okay, go ahead. <laughs> we can dismiss our kids for children's church. And I know what you're thinking. That sure was a lot of scripture Mark read earlier. Now I know why I had sack lunches today. Yeah, back in the old days, I remember only one time where we were at Pleasant Hill in Pine Grove and I wish somebody had brought lunch because that guy would not stop. He went on and on and on. He was a revival preacher, but everybody was unrevived. I'm not going to do that to you today. This passage, it really does present itself all together. And we have to look at it all together, but I'm hoping that I can help you see the big picture and where you fit into it, because honestly, this is what this is about. The Scripture's rich, and for you to get everything out of it, you need to go home and read it over and over again. God has been in this business of reviving His people and saving His creation since the beginning. And I cannot explain that to you in 20 minutes, exactly how you fit into that. It is your dire responsibility to know how you fit into that. If you stand and say, is this song that we sing, I am a child of God, the responsibilities that go with being a child of God are, are remarkable and vast. And it is your job. It is your responsibility. It is your honor. It is your privilege to be able to go to this Word and have God unfold everything before your eyes. So that's the first point. That's who you are. The more that you deny who you are, the more unproductive this life is. What I want you to begin to grasp is that God pours out His Spirit onto you, into you. And when that happens, He moves us beyond anything that we've imagined. We're outside of ourselves in a real sense of the word. Because we're no longer really here. We've, when God fills us with His Spirit, we are displaced to a large degree. Or what, who we are is baptized in a way that everything is made new, washed clean. Something that we are glad to have, but aren't quite sure what it is. That's exactly what was happening here. Everybody was glad to have it, but not quite sure until Peter speaks up. And before I get too far along, I do want you to just, we're going to spend about three minutes on Peter. Because the, transf the transformation that Peter went through is one that we should all go through. And we should all recognize that transformation having occurred or that is in the process of occurring in our life. Fifty-four days before this, Peter was cursing out loud that he did not know that man, Jesus. And today he is standing before all of Jerusalem and declaring him as Messiah. That is a transformation. And we all are offered that as believers in Jesus Christ. And not only are we offered it, it happens. Whether or not we recognize it depends largely on us. God has made Peters out of all of us. And we have to accept that. 
if we're going to get the full measure of God's grace and mercy and blessing for our life. So enough about that. If you feel as though you're living under limitations with this gospel, because this is a story about limitlessness. There is no limits here. If you are feeling under limitations, then you need to re-examine who you are with Christ. Because everyone experiences this change and everyone experiences this newness. And so we, the only way that we miss it is to embrace some sort of limitation in our life, which Peter at this point has refused to embrace. All that he is being driven by at this point is the Spirit of God upon him. He begins this thing by saying, what you're experiencing here, uh, it's not exactly what you think it is. When God begins to move upon us, both ourselves and those that are watching aren't going to be real sure about what's happening. But He is going to make sure that it is clear once we begin to function on His behalf or act under the power and direction of His Spirit. God doesn't leave anything to chance and He actually doesn't leave anything to mystery. He desires to and He does expose everything of Himself that He chooses to in us and through us when the time is right. The time has to be right. We can't do that. We can't be that sort of follower of Jesus and experience that kind of usefulness to God until we are truly given over to our Lord and to our Christ. In verses 14 and 15, he says, this may seem a little bit out of place, but let me tell you, go back 350 years and you'll see exactly what this was all about and this passage in Joel is quite remarkable because Joel sees into a future that they didn't even see for a for a woman to receive the gift of God and to speak boldly about it man we just now got to that point some of us aren't there yet Although Joel, Joel and Peter both said that we should be there. This is a remarkable passage when he says, I will pour out my spirit on all people to all my sons and daughters. And all of a sudden, things are turned over. It was the old people that could speak on the behalf of a tribe. In fact, that still goes on today. I was listening to somebody last night about a tribe in West Africa. You can't go share the gospel with the older people until you're an older person. So if a 50-year-old in Africa is going to hear the gospel, they can only hear it from somebody at least 50 years old that's had the same experiences in life as this person has. Don't come in there my age. Oh, wait, I am that age. Uh, don't come in there Matt's age and start trying to share the gospel. You're going to, nobody's going to hear you. But in this passage, Joel is saying, look, the young guys, they're going to be, they're the ones with the visions. It's not the old guy sitting out under the tree somewhere that is meditating on God and sees the expanse of God like we see John see in his, in his book of Revelation. The young guys and the young gals, they're going to be doing this. Okay, and it's going to be the older people that are going to have the dreams about these visions. Everything's turned on its head so that everybody's included and everybody is equipped with the power of God in this. It's, it's as if to say God is unleashing Himself and there's no putting Him back in the bottle. That's what's happening here. That's what happened at Pentecost. 
That's what's happening in your life when you allow the Spirit to work in you. God is unleashed, and you're not putting Him back in the bottle. He's got things to do with you, and He's going to do them. So He goes through this speaking language they understand. These were all God-fearing people in Jerusalem and had come to this festival to be a part of this. He's speaking right out of their language. You know what the prophet says. You're experiencing the very thing you've been reading about all your life. God is moving here. And he talks about this in such, in such vast terms. Because this is a day that Joel's describing. And they didn't think of time in terms of years and minutes and decades and centuries. There was the day, creation day, there are the day that we live in, and then there's this coming day that's going to unfold. And then there's going to be the eternal day. And Joel is saying, when you see these things happening, this is the beginning of that day. The dawn has rised on this day. And when you see these last things happening, the sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord comes. That's the end of the day. And there's going to be a day when God is going to reveal Himself and His power in a most unforgettable way. And He says, during this day, from the time that the Spirit is poured out until that, that dreadful and glorious day of the Lord, He says here, then everyone who calls upon the Lord will be saved. Everyone in that time that calls upon the name of the Lord when that day of the Lord comes, where everything comes to a close and judgment is handled once and for all, everyone that is called upon the name of the Lord during that day will be saved from the wrath that would be poured out that day. So Peter has laid out his mission. This is who we are. This is what we're doing. And this is going to be the result. It's all right here. It's all right in this, in this one little passage. This is who we are. This anointing that Joel promised and this anointing that occurred at Pentecost is the same anointing that comes upon us when we say to God, I trust your son Jesus to cover my sin and to lead me into your presence by his sacrifice in life. I trust him. That's what all these people were doing. And they trusted that. And God gave Jesus the Spirit, the Spirit to pour out upon His people. There is no limit to this. God acted in the life of His church. He gave them His Spirit. That act is understandable to others as a witness. They understood what He was talking about. Once he began to speak their language and unfold this whole event in Scripture, once he makes sure that they understand that this great Messiah that has been promised in Joel is the very Jesus that they put to death, the one that everybody knew, everybody in town knew about Jesus, everybody in town knew what had happened, only not everybody in town knew that it was the foreknowledge of God to have it happen so that we could be saved from our sin. And that's what they begin to proclaim. It's the Spirit in them proclaiming. 
the witness. And the Spirit has no bounds as we've seen. It's not a respecter of age. It's not a respecter of sexes. It's not a respecter of persons. Everyone who believes, Peter says, will have the Spirit poured out on them. God hasn't held His hand back from anyone. He wants everyone to be saved so that everyone can experience the presence, His very presence in their life as they move and breathe and have their being. So the question really becomes is what kind of spirit is guiding you today? Which spirit is guiding you? Paul's very clear in 1 Corinthians that God creates each one of us with a spirit. And I think we know that pretty much. There's some people that are still wrestling with the idea about there being a, a, an, uh, an intrinsic, transcendent type of being that exists. But I think each of us know that the person that we identify as Mark is it confined to this body? Most, most people can accept that. And Paul understands that is that's, that's the part of life that God speaks to directly from His Spirit. His Spirit calls to our spirit so that in our communication and communion with God, we can know everything that God knows about us because that's what He wants. So we can either let our spirit which is broken and flawed and pretty messed up, got our life, or we can let the Spirit of God got our life. We can have this communication with God in such a way that we are literally overpowered by it each and every day so that His, His Spirit becomes the proctor in our life, the one that is given direction, the one that is given meaning. And so the question is an honest question. Which spirit are you following? Are you following your own ideas about life? Or are you following God's ideas about life? And we've been in a great study, by the way, this past four weeks in uh, the seven realities of, of experiencing God because we were reminded again this morning that we really are bent to follow God's lead in these things if we're really going to be with God. If that's what we really want, then we've, we already know that the spirit that should be guiding us and leading us is none other than the very presence of God in our life. And so the question again I ask, is that what guides you? Or is there still this need to do it ourselves? Pentecost would have never happened if Peter would have decided that the transformation that he hoped for would be the thing. Maybe if I can just say the right words, I'll be back to the person I was before I denied Jesus in the garden. Maybe if I can just figure out a way to be bold enough like he was that night when he said, I'm going to die with you, Lord. And then curses him three hours later. Maybe if he could just get past that on his own, then maybe God could use him again. And God is saying to him and he's saying to each and every one of us, you are a broken mess until you let me in your life. Otherwise, you'll never be used until you do. See, all of us should expect results with our life. If we are not accomplishing the will of God through our life, and we are saying that we have surrendered our life to Him, then what we are saying is God has no interest in us, and He cannot accomplish His will through me. And I don't think that's true. 
I know that He has an interest in you because He died for you. And He has made that salvation available to you freely. You did nothing for it. And I know that He has a desire to use you because He's always had a desire to use us since the beginning, since Genesis. He's always had a job for us. It's always been something that He's joined with us so that we could experience Him in our work. And our work is to bring the gospel of Jesus Christ to people. So we don't have to even decide what the effects of our work is and what the results will be. We know it already. It is so that people will be saved and brought to Christ and receive the Spirit. It says it right here in this passage. It's plain. So that's the first question you have to ask. The second question is, am I even using the right language? Is my life available to other people that are lost? Or am I just speaking my own language here and expecting them to decode who, what I'm saying or who I am in order to figure it out? See, at Pentecost, the Spirit took care of the problem. There was no language barrier. There could have easily been. But there was not. God said, I'm going to overcome that if you'll just let me. Just let me work in that. If any of these disciples would have set out and decided, well, I'm going to speak Ethiopianese, whatever that is. I'm just making that up, by the way. They wouldn't have been able to do it. God does it for them. If we allow Him to work, we can speak the language. So when you're talking to somebody that is just utterly confused about life, you, 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 you can't talk doctrine and theory of doctrine to them about Scripture. You can't start quoting Scripture. They don't know anything about this book. You can't, you can't go to this and have any authority for them at all. They don't even know what it is. The only authority you have is Christ in you. That's it. That's it. But you know what Jesus said? He said, you go and you stand and you, and you say whatever I put in your mouth. It's going to be the right thing. That's what happened here. And that's what happens for us. But we have to be surrendered and we have to want this kind of life. It cannot be an add-on in our life anymore, people. The church has made Jesus an add-on for way too long. To the degree that 36% of people that have been in the church in the last 20 years have left and said they're never going back. 34% of the people that you know in church statistically will look you in the eye and say, there's nothing about you here that I want. I'm not coming back. How can you not want Jesus? You can only want Jesus, but He has to be alive in you. There's a message here that we need to learn. Beginning in verse 23, real quickly. The first part of this, 23 through 32, is nine verses that talk about the death of Jesus and the victory of it. Now, I'm going to go through three things, and these are things that should roll off your tongue. I know it's hard. And we do training here sometimes that nobody attends, but you need to know how to do this. You need to be able to, to communicate at whatever level you find yourself that the death of Jesus is victory over sin and death. And that sin and death will keep you from God forever. 
It's all spilled out in these verses. Verses 23 through 32. We must all be able to articulate clearly to whoever we meet that Jesus, that the death of Jesus is victory over sin and death. That's the first thing we need to be able to say and say it rather decisively. You can go to Romans and say, for the wages of sin is death. That's one part of that verse. 33 through 35 describes the exaltation of Jesus. This wasn't just any man. This is the one that, that not only, not only do, uh, do we speak about here under, under revelation of the Spirit? David did too, by the way. And he gives two great passages from, from David's writings to help them understand that, look, if you're looking for some line from David as Messiah, how could you get anything more plainer than this? David said that my descendants would not, would not decay and would be raised from the grave. And here he is right before you. We have to understand that, that, Jesus is exalted because of His victory. He is the one that God chose to be the Messiah because of His victory over sin and death. It was His destiny as the Son of God and it was His destiny as the Son of Man. It's who He is. Victory over death, the exaltation of Jesus, which results in what? Jesus doesn't just go back and sit on a throne and say, well, I've done all I'm going to do. What's the next thing? He's exalted and He blesses His people. Those that believe and trust in Him have a life that is different and peculiar than anyone else's on the planet. That's what the Spirit does. If you want the Spirit of God active and working in your life, you have to come to the conclusion first that I'm going to be a strange and peculiar type of person. Because the rest of the world doesn't live by the Spirit. I do. And He is free to do whatever He wants. He is going to do whatever it takes to use us to bring about the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone. That's number two, that He was exalted. And as a result of that, He pours out His Spirit. And thirdly, it is all of those things together is proof that Jesus is the Lord and the Christ. Now for Hebrew people, that was everything. They, their whole existence as a nation and their whole existence from the time that they were little was to know that the Lord and the Christ had come for them and was ruling in their life and had rescued them from the bondage that they were in. Only they misunderstood bondage. They had everything right but the bondage part. But Peter sets it right. That's what Jesus overcomes. It's our sin. And when He overcomes it and we accept it, He pours out upon this, this kind of thing. Imagine losing the very thing that is going to destroy you and in the process, getting the very thing that gives you eternal life with the Father. It's kind of the biggest no-brainer that's ever come upon human history. <laughs> Those are three things. I'm going to say them again. The death of Jesus is victory. The exaltation of Jesus results in the Spirit being 
poured upon us and that Jesus is the Lord and the Christ. We can know that decisively because of the first two. We need to know this message and it needs to be on the tip of our tongue when we meet people. So the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. That's one verse in Scripture that says it all. Everybody should know that one verse of Scripture. Anybody know where it's located? Somebody start looking in Romans 3 and read till you find it. For the wages of sin and death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. When you can say that to a person and help them understand what that truly means for them, you have offered the gospel of Jesus Christ. And all you've had to do is know one verse of Scripture. This is why we are here. And if you will believe the Spirit, and if you allow it to work in your life, when those moments come, and you think, so, I, I don't know what to do. That's your Spirit talking. God knows exactly what to do. He knows exactly what to do each and every time you reach that point. He knows. He just, you just got to be willing to say, okay, Lord, I don't know what I'm, I, I don't know what to do, but you're going to do it. Later in Acts, we're going to see Peter fulfill that very thing. And he was so good at it, nobody knew what else, nobody, nobody else knew what to do. So what's the result of this kind of life that you live? See, when you are, when you allow this to happen in your life, what's going to be the result? Well, verse 37 says, I mean, there's a life-changing question that, that these people start asking the apostles. He says, uh, you know, what should we do? You know you've kind of cracked the door open when you get through talking with somebody, sharing this heartfelt witness that you have about what Jesus has done for you, and they begin to ask questions. That's when you know you got them. That's like the fish that, that nibbles, keeps nibbling. I'm not a very good fisherman. They'll take all my bait. But I'll put some more on there and they'll come back eventually and I'll get them eventually. <laughs> it just cost me a lot of money. Them cockahoe things are a lot more expensive than buying fish at the store. <laughs> but that's what they'll do, man. They'll start, they'll start nibbling away. They want to know. Because you know what? People without Jesus, they are miserable. And, they, and, and when they're confronted with Jesus, they begin to figure it out. That there's some things in my life I really, I really if I'm honest, I could change. And I want to change. But if they're never confronted with Jesus, they'll never be confronted with the questions. So there's a question that's asked. And then 38 through 40 gives this life-saving invitation. He says, repent and be baptized. We're not asking for a lot here. Repent. We all know what that means. You're in this life that's totally outside the will and purposes of God, and you're living in sin, repent from that, turn from that, and turn to God. And be baptized, meaning that make a statement about it. Let God know and let everybody else know that old life is dead and buried, and I'm in this new life now. And he says, you do that, and the Spirit of God will be poured out on you. As if to say, how could you not want that in your life? He goes on. For the promise is for you and for your children and for all those who are far off, as many as our Lord ha will call. You know what he's saying there in that? He said, this is not an exclusive Jewish thing anymore. 
This is for everybody. This is for you. This is for people far away. This is for your children. This is for everybody. Nobody's left out of this deal. If you won't in on this deal, this is what you do. You repent from your old life. The one that you know is causing you all kind of problems anyway. The one that you know, at least you know that you haven't met the Messiah yet. Peter's saying, I've met him. And he's given me this message to give to you. And you can know him. And there'll be evidence of your knowing him. Because the Spirit's going to be with you. Communion with your Spirit. And everything's going to be different and changed for you. That's how you'll know. Ultimately, that's how you know. And then verse 31 describes really what this is all about for God. We finally get to the part that, 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 that is the glory part for God. See, Jesus died on a cross to save us from our sins, and that was the glory of the Father. Can you imagine putting your own son on a cross to die for somebody else and say, man, that's glorious. But that's what, that's what God did, and it was glorious. And you know why it's glorious? Because through faith in Jesus, people come to be with God again. Do you realize what God has done? To have people with Him. And He's given us that message. And when they heard Peter, what does it say? They accepted His message and were baptized. 3,000 of them. I bet that was a sight in Jerusalem that day. I bet you anywhere there was a water pot, they were baptizing people. Can you imagine that today? I wonder, I wonder which of you younger guys in here, that's your vision. Who possesses that vision for Livingston Parish? Nobody? What about you old guys? You dreaming about that? Seeing that? That's, that's part of this pouring out thing, see? What are we doing? Is this really just all about us? Or can we see beyond it to what it's really about God and His glory? Those are real questions. Real questions for a real people in this room with a real message of salvation for a real world that is lost and dying. All those things should matter to us. And I pray they do. Let's pray.